Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so excited to be with you. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of First Peter, and this is week three, and if you've missed any of the, the prior uh, weeks to this morning, feel free to jump on our website, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page, and you can watch those messages and catch up. Uh, and I'd also encourage you to check out the overview video of 1 Peter uh, from the Bible Project. And you can find the Bible Project on their website or on their YouTube channel as well. And so let's jump into our text in 1 Peter chapter 2. Yeah, glad you guys are joining us today. Hey, uh, we've, we are living in a season right now where there's a lot of tension. A lot of tension in our country, a lot of tension around the world. And so we've We've jumped into this series in First Peter. We're talking about living in between. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like we are stuck in between. Um, even going with the things going on this week, there's so much tension in, our, in my life. I feel it. Um, and it just makes me realize how grateful I am for the fact that, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And today is the day of Pentecost, the day we celebrate the day of Pentecost, the day that that, the, that, that promise was fulfilled for the church, the day that the church launched into this uh, crazy mission that we're still a part of today, thousands of years later. Um, and it's, it is that Holy Spirit that we desperately need, I think, as Christians in this culture as we deal with uh, racial tensions and we deal with political tensions, and we deal with the tension that we feel even in our own lives um, around issues of COVID and all the other things that are going on. We need to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit like never before, that he could change us and transform us. And, and that's, I think, you know, ultimately what studying scripture does for us is it allows, it puts words in our minds that the Holy Spirit can use to uh, transform us. So we're going to jump in. First Peter, um, and it says this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. As I was thinking about that this week, uh, this would be a great life verse for every Christian's social media. <laughs> if we could take this and memorize it, um, and every time you're tempted to post something on social media, you just think through 1 Peter 2 verse 1. And if you think, man, that's a lot to ask. Put away all malice, the intention to do evil, all deceit, concealing or misrepresenting the truth, all hypocrisy, claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform, and envy, feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck, and all slander, making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. What if, <laughs> what if that was a filter that engaged through the power of the Holy Spirit for every Christian across social media and in our interactions with people? If we could avoid those kinds of things, those, those inflammatory behaviors, man, the witness of Christ would be just propelled forward. And, and so I just, I really challenge you um, in this time of divisiveness, in this time of tension, of being in between, to lean into a verse like that, to memorize it. Think about those things. Talk about it. That as a Christian, you represent Jesus to the people in your life. This is a key component to our new identity in Christ and something we're talking about heavily today. Uh, this is a huge calling. It's, it's massive. It's something that we can't do on our own. I can't, I can't live that way. I'm not, it's, not, it's not in my nature. 
Um, and we see our nature come out when, when things around us are in turmoil. We see it and, it, and it's not always a pretty thing. We need to engage this filter. We need the Holy Spirit to speak through us um, and to be the demonstration of Christ's body to, to the world around us like never before. We are the people living in between, the people living between God and the people that are far from God. Um, and we are his representatives. And it says this, it says in 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, it says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Taylor and I actually split this passage based on who had the youngest <laughs> baby. And right now, that's me. And a year yep. from now, that would be you. So, totally. uh, but we have a lot of <laughs> gained information and knowledge on this topic over the past few years, and yeah. I don't think I could have ever uh, understood, um, I don't think I would have ever understood this the way that I do now had it not been going through this season, even with, with our twins and, and, and the impact that having two babies to feed has had on Kayla and I. But Peter isn't implying to be like, that we are infants as in immature, but that like a baby, we should crave pure spiritual milk. Babies have a hunger. They have a hunger often. They eat, uh, especially newborn infants, they eat all the time it feels like. Um, they eat throughout the night, they eat throughout the day, and it's something that as a parent, you're like, oh, can you just stop that? But, but Peter is telling us, like an infant, like a newborn baby, be hungry for the word of God regularly. Be satisfied on the pure spiritual milk of the word of God, the gospel, the word, Jesus Christ, to be satisfied in him regularly. Don't crave other things. Babies have a hunger like 18 times a day and they eat all day long, but they only hunger for milk. They don't hunger for other things. Babies don't want chocolate yet. <laughs> they don't want things that are bad for them. They want milk. They want to, they want to be satisfied and that's what Peter is comparing it to. Uh, we've, we've recently, in our, in our life, we've recently branched out into looking for formulas because uh, having two babies, it's a lot to, to feed them both. And Lewis has a, he has a cleft palate, and so he has to drink from a bottle, and he doesn't get to nurse. And so we've, we've, we've been looking at supplementing. And when you look into formula, you have to read all the ingredients. And it's amazing what they have to pack into that to try yeah. and supplement for mother's milk. And we're blessed to live in a society where we can do that. Uh, for whatever reason, that, that, that's a blessing to us. But they have to make sure it has all the nutrients that a baby needs, something that mother's milk naturally produces. And this image of craving what's good for us to only being satisfied with what's good for us is something that Peter is, is hitting on. Uh, pure spiritual milk is just as important to the life of, of a Christian as milk is to an infant. And we need to be feeding on the gospel all day long, middle of the night when you wake up. And sometimes that's the most important time for me. I wake up in the middle of the night, my mind starts wandering onto the worries of the next day, on the things that I blew it, <laughs> I blew it in the day before. I need to, to, to cling to the gospel, to look to Jesus in the middle of the night, all day long to crave that pure spiritual milk. It can be uh, a challenge for us, but we, we hunger after ever, other things. Uh, and, and, they, and so we have to be intentional about what we are feeding on. 
This is one of the, the interesting things about reading the Bible is, is we can see actually authors of different books and letters using a similar image to mean something completely different. So we're talking, Peter has said, be like a newborn infant and crave pure spiritual milk. We also see uh, the, the author of Hebrews uses this image to actually say, don't be immature like a baby. And it says this in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. These two authors aren't contradicting each other. They're making two completely different points using a similar image. And so we can't think of what Peter is telling us to do as to be immature. That's not what Peter is telling us. He's comparing it to that infant's longing, the infant's hunger, hunger for the word like that. It's interesting with, uh, with my little guy, Lewis. He actually, uh, when, we, when he was first born, he we realized he was having a really hard time eating sometimes. And um, it took us months to figure it out. It took us months to figure out why he wouldn't eat the milk. And come to find out, he had a very sensitive taste. He wouldn't drink any milk but the milk that was freshest. If it had sat around, if it had been in the freezer, if it had gone into the refrigerator for more than 12 hours, he wouldn't touch it. He'd put it in his mouth and he would knock it out of his mouth. And there's an image that I've been thinking about in that that he was so sensitive to the purest, the best milk that he wouldn't even let that stuff cross his lips. Hmm. And what could we learn from that? There are, there are forms of Christianity that have the appearance of milk, of spiritual milk, but they've gone sour. They've gone bitter. And sometimes we pick, those things are around us and we start to pick them up. But as Christians, we need to develop that dis- discernment that we can taste even the slightest bit of this that's gone sour. That we would, we would hunger and for only the purest form of the gospel. That we would hunger for only the purest, that we would be the purest forms of, of representatives of Christ to our world around us. It says this in verse four. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we come to Jesus, the living stone, but he was rejected by men. Why is it important that Peter mentioned that he was rejected? There are going to be things about being a Christian that are going to be hard because Jesus confronts us and the people around us and is working through us and trying to conform us to his image. When we experience that, there are going to be times that that's gonna, that's gonna be challenging for us. We're gonna wanna reject it, but it's also gonna be challenging for the other people in our life. It's gonna be something that might cause tension as we lean in and we try to, to follow Jesus more strictly or to, to allow him to change us even more and transform us even more. We have to recognize that we can expect to experience rejection from others on our journey of following Jesus. We can expect it. That's something that we have to recognize even within our own church community. There are times that you may have to say something to a brother or sister that they may not accept at the time. 
It might come across as funny to them or strange to them until the Holy Spirit can use those things actually and, and transform us and, and others. I think of that right now with, with some of the racial tensions that are going on and I, I've been feeling this in my own life. As I, as I hear some of the language that's being thrown around around race, I think I'm, I don't deal with that. I don't struggle with that. But it's caused me to, to look at my life and to think how would Jesus feel? How would he look at these things? What would he do? That we can't just reject it, but that we have to allow it to transform us. See, what if everyone around you was hungering after food that wasn't good for them? Or what if even in our Christian circles, what if people have started to pick up food that's slightly going sour or it's turned bitter? Well, we have the discernment to say, let's hunger after pure spiritual food. Let's turn and trust only in Jesus. Let's proclaim only the truth of the gospel. Let's put aside all these other things, malice, envy, deceit, slander, and, and hunger for only the true spiritual food. Our appetites need to change, and I love it because Jesus actually talked about the food that he ate. In John chapter four, he's with the disciples and he sends them off and he goes to the, the well there in Samaria and he meets the woman at the well and he has this interaction with her and the disciples come back and, and they are gonna bring him food and he says, I don't need to eat. And he says this in, in verse 32 through 34, he says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Trusting in Jesus and doing the work that he did provides its own nourishment. It's a spiritual food that we need in our lives. Obedience, conformity to Christ's image, his mission is the food that we need to grow. We are like living stones. Jesus is the living stone. We are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. It's one of the reasons, this image is one of the reasons that even though the church building has been closed, the church has not been closed. Peter tells us, and we know this, that, that Jesus is building us, us, people, the church, the body of Christ, into a spiritual house. Not confined to a building. Not restricted when the gathering is restricted. But he's, he's continued to build us. And I think that for those who are trusting him through restriction, sometimes that can actually cause us to be built even stronger. That we are these living stones. That it says that we are uh, to be a holy priesthood. Holy priests. And priests, what we know about priests is that they actually have two, two parts. They, they represent God to the people. So they live in between. They live in between God and the people. They represent God to the people. They speak his word, they speak his, with his voice, and if they do so properly, they carry that authority. But they also offer sacrifices from the people to God. It says that we not only are holy priests, but we offer holy <laughs> sacrifices through Jesus Christ. That when we interact with people, we are representing Jesus. And through his acts, and through our acts of sacrifice, to the world around us through love and service, we actually demonstrate the sacrifice that Jesus made. We, our sacrifices don't have the atoning power that Jesus's did, but they represent that. And that's why submission and sacrifice don't go uh, without fruit. 
in the Christian life is because we are demonstrating to the culture around us that we're willing to sacrifice for them. And, that, and it represents Jesus' sacrifice. It all points to him. And that's the whole purpose of our mission is to point to Jesus that more people might know because Jesus is kind of a big deal. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. What does it look like for my life to point uh, to Jesus? And so we're going to continue verses six through eight. It says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, for those who do not believe, the stone that was, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And if you have something to take notes with, I would love for you to write this thought down. Jesus is the true foundation in life, no matter who rejects him. Mm. And in here, here in verse uh, six through eight, like we see Peter referencing uh, a couple Old Testament prophecies about Jesus as well as Jesus's own words. And so there's a few key words that I think would be helpful for us to understand as we move forward. So the first one is Zion, and this is a reference to uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 28. And Zion is a name uh, in the Bible used synonymously with the name Jerusalem. And then we see this word stone, and this is a direct reference to Jesus, just like what Pastor Nate was talking about. And Jesus is the stone that will be laid in Jerusalem and will be the ultimate cornerstone. And then the last phrase that we see in these verses is the builders rejected. And this is a reference to Psalm 118 and Jesus's words in Matthew 21. And the builders that he's talking about are the religious leaders whom the temple was built by and it was used by. And now these religious leaders, like they, they weren't wrong in their pursuit of God, but where they went awry is when they missed Jesus in their study of God and his plan. And so like what verse six teaches us is that this chosen cornerstone, which is Jesus, that if you believe in him and you place your trust in him, you will never be put to shame. And other translations um, use this phrase, you, he will never, uh, you will never be disappointed. And in other words, if you build your life on the foundation of Jesus, you will never be disappointed. You will never be let down. And this is quite unlike what we experience um, on, a, on a daily basis. And disappointment in, in life is something that we have to come to understand and embrace pretty early on in our life. Like, in no way is it easy for us to understand disappointment, but it's something we have to realize that's unfortunately uh, a part of our life. And specifically uh, speaking, it feels like it's nearly impossible to find people or organizations that you can place your deepest and fullest trust in. Why is that? Um, I think it's because, and this is simply kind of my opinion and my observation of people, but it's because we've been let down so many times, we've been burned so many times that we like naturally and sometimes subconsciously um, like have these walls up when it comes to people or organizations. It feels like this person or this company or this organization like has an agenda. 
Like all they want is to get their money from you. And sometimes to get their money from you, they do it underneath this covering of like helping people. And so it feels like it's almost impossible to trust people unless you have a background or a, like a long time relationship with this person or this company. But what Peter is claiming is that God will never do that sort of thing. And he's reassuring that if you put your trust in him, he, you will be held up, that you will be walked with, you will be guided, and you will be loved. And quite frankly, this like, concept like, isn't unique to Paul at all. Like, it's woven throughout like, the entire narrative of the Bible. And this, this, this idea and this concept um, sounds pretty irresistible, to never be let down, to never be disappointed. Um, but there were people who didn't see it that way and they actually rejected this truth. So let's read about it in verses seven through eight. So the honor is for you who, who believe, but for those who do not believe, and then he quotes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Those who reject the chief cornerstone and refuse to build on him instead stumble over him. Instead of uh, being their salvation, Jesus becomes to them a rock of offense. So what we find is if you try and build your life on anything but the true cornerstone, you actually like pick up this heavy burden, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 11 specifically. And, and something to note was like the majority of the builders rejected Jesus, and in that rejection that was meant to bring freedom, like the message that Jesus brought, um, instead it brought pain and it brought death. And it brought pain and it brought death because they failed to see Jesus for who he truly was, the Messiah. And so when we place our trust in Jesus as the cornerstone, this, this thing um, called the family of God becomes a part of your life. And so uh, let's, let's read about this family that Peter invites people into in verses 9 through 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want you to write this thought down. Jesus is the foundation for the family of God. And, and, and Peter like, gives a couple different titles um, to these non-Jews um, as they come into the family of God. We see this in verse nine. He, he calls them the, a chosen race. He calls them a royal priesthood. He calls them a holy nation. He calls them a people for his own possession. And these are very significant titles. Like these are not random words that Peter put together. These were all titles 
uh, reserved for the Jewish people as God's people. Mm. And so these were things that God straight up promised to the nation of Israel in Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 7, Isaiah 43. And um, when you, if you were a Jew and you read this you know, letter that was circulating around <laughs> Asia Minor and you read this, you would know exactly what he was talking about and you would have been like, hey, that was reserved for us like as Jews. How could, you, um, how could non-Jews, Gentiles, be invited and have these same titles? These were very important things. Like you memor- as a Jew, like you memorized these things from the prophets. So it wasn't just a collection of like good sounding phrases. <laughs> these were near and dear to the hearts of Israel because that is what set them apart from other nations. And now Peter is inviting all nations because of Jesus to take part in the inclusiveness of God. And so now that Jesus is the cornerstone the family of God is no longer simply Jews, but also the Gentiles. And I want you to picture it like this. You have, you have two walls coming together at a corner. And on one wall represents the Jews, and, and the other wall represents the non-Jews. And so they come together as one family because of Jesus being the corner. And Jesus is the one who unites and brings people of all nations and backgrounds and makes them into one family. And this unification comes from the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so when you place your your trust in Jesus as king, you receive this adoption into the family of God. And and this adoption is what unified the early church together because it wasn't their upbringing. They were Jews and they were non-Jews. It wasn't their social class. It wasn't their backgrounds or their public perception. It was the fact that they declared Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life and they believed it was through them that they were seen as having right standing with God. And Peter is very, very specific as, as to why the Christian is now invited into those things. And he says it in the second half of verse nine. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who is Jesus, who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And so the reason that we are chosen and set apart is not for bragging rights, um, but instead to bring glory to Jesus in the way that we live our lives. And this theme of bringing glory to God is all throughout the Bible. And sometimes when we think about bringing glory to God, we, we only think about it in the sense of like the really important things in life. We don't think about what we post on social media as, as falling under those criteria. But the apostle Paul would, would write and would address this in another letter to, um, or in a letter to the, the church in Corinth. He said in chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so because of who we belong to, we are to bring glory to him. And this is the responsibility of each family member. So let's close with the final sentence of this text. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
So on this topic of, of, of adoption and receiving mercy and now belonging, imagine the emotions that you would be experiencing the first time that you heard that you were being adopted and you were being taken out of foster care. Maybe you personally know what that feels like, but if you don't know what that feels like, let's just imagine that. The immense amount of like uncontainable joy, the weight being lifted, the relief and belonging. No longer are your emotions toyed with in foster care, but instead you have been given not only access to the love of a forever family, but you are now legally viewed as a member of a family unit. You now have the safety of parents. You now have the commu- possibly the community of siblings and you have belonging and friends. This is what we experience in the family of God. You receive a love from God that is far above anything that we experience on earth. You have the community of the church. You belong to God. You belong to the people of God. And this leaves us with a question, a few questions for ourselves. Uh, What does this mean for us now? How do I live as a chosen one? How do I live set apart? And maybe the question that you're asking yourself this morning is, do I want to be a part of the family of God. So the final thought I wanna, we want to leave you with tonight or this morning is this, Jesus is the foundation for all nations to be adopted into the family of God. Yeah, we are called, um, not just Pastor Taylor and I, not just the staff, um, not just those who feel a special, extra special calling, but every Christian, everybody who calls on the name of Jesus is called to be a part of this family. We're welcomed in, and it comes with the understanding that we are going to be built into this spiritual house. The same work that Jesus did is gonna become our work. It's a, heavy, it's, it's a heavy burden if we try to do it on our own, but if we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit in community, and we find ourselves in that place, um, it, it's, it's like an infant drinking. It's, it's like the most natural thing in the world, and we need to get to that place where that is, that is the thing that comes out of us, to be a part of this proclaiming the excellencies to the community, to the world around us. As we close, we have a couple questions that we can think through. Um, you can talk with your family at home, your spouse, your kids. Um, maybe you can just reflect on it personally, but here are a couple questions that we want you to ask is, how do you spiritually feed yourself throughout the week on the pure spiritual food of the gospel? This is important for us to recognize. We need to take the moments to, to recognize how we're doing this, and if we're not, how can we? And I encourage you parents to bring your kids into those conversations to talk about grace and forgiveness and, and repent. And maybe that's something that, that we need. We need some repentance on going, I haven't been taking that calling seriously. That's a, that's a big deal, church, because the world around us is watching and they need the hope of the gospel. They need to be called out of the darkness into the light. The second question is, what are some things other than Jesus that you are tempted to build your life on? What are those things? Is it your job, your career? Is it your health? Is it status? Is it your faith other than trusting completely in Jesus? Is it, is it the picture you feel like being, uh, that you're a good person? It should be fully in Jesus. 
So I want to take a moment and pray um, as we close. And um, Would you just pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word, that it challenges us. And, and I pray that as we hear your word, God, and as we think about these things, whether it's right now, later in the week, in the middle of the night, that our minds would be drawn to the truth of who you are, what you've done for us, that we wouldn't cling to any other thing. And if, if, if the, the world around us is shaken and, and our circumstances in our life are shaken, God, I pray that we would cling to this cornerstone, that it wouldn't be a, a rock of offense to us or a stumbling block, but it'd be, it would be solid for us. So I thank you for your gospel and the good news that it is to us. Let us hunger for it. Let us find ourselves satisfied only in it, that we would grow like a baby grows. My kids have tripled in size in eight months. It's amazing. God, I pray for that kind of growth in us through this season, this next season, that your people would grow. So we thank you for that growth that you do in our lives, and and we repent of the times that we look to other things to, to fill our hungers. We trust fully in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, just in just a moment, the band's gonna come back and, and sing some songs. And I wanna encourage you to prepare your communion elements. Um, you can take whatever you've got at home. You can take some juice and a cracker. And, and these things represent Jesus' sacrifice for us. The cracker or bread represents his body broken for us. So we take it and we eat it. And, and the cup, is, Jesus said, is the new covenant in my blood. A new covenant that includes us, the Gentiles. It includes people of all races, all walks of life, brought into unity under the blood of Jesus. And every time we take it, we remember what he's done for us and that it's through his sacrifice for us that we get to be a part of the family of God. So as the band sings, you can prepare those things and, and they'll walk us through that in just a moment.